On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the next Hamilton municipal election. Way early, absolutely way early. But after Bob Bertina says he's not running for federal politics again, and the suggestion was he might be in the mix to be running for mayor of Hamilton, might be, we're talking about who else might be. We're also going to talk about education, quadmesters. What is a quadmester? Why does it matter? If you have kids in school, you want to be listening to this. And Don Robertson joins us to answer the question, how much of a disadvantage will Canadian teams have with no fans in the stands when American NHL teams now have full buildings or close to it? And more, lots more. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Even though it's not nine in the morning, it is time for a little Bill Kelly here on 900 CHML. Bill, who I completely forgot when I called him today to see if he would come on. I completely forgot he was on vacation. But, you know, he is a big man and he never says no. And so, Bill, thanks for doing this on your time off. I appreciate it. Pleasure, Scott. Always a pleasure. We uh, The reason I wanted to call Bill is, uh, well, let me start with this, Bill. When you were on city council, and I think most people know that you did your time on city council, did you ever have the thought, even though you didn't pursue it, did you ever have the thought about running for mayor? I had people ask me to run. Um, I don't, it was never really on my radar for a variety of reasons. Uh, but uh, it's, it's tempting, I got to tell you. I mean, you know, I... I the, the reason why, obviously, is because, you know, the, the allure, if you're on council and you're having some successes, and uh, it's pretty easy, you know, when things are going well, to find a whole bunch of people that says you're doing a great job. Uh, but, you know, to, to take it to that next level, to run for mayor, is uh, it's a huge, huge undertaking. And I think a lot of people that think they can do that uh, find they're in for a real shock when they start campaigning for this. It's a much different kind of animal to, uh, mm. to run for the top job in the city. Having been there, not as mayor, obviously, as I say, but having been around that council table, would there be any, in your opinion, would there be any councillor around the table who has not been told by somebody they should run for mayor? Oh, probably no, they, because let's face it, you hear most of all from your supporters and they think you're doing a wonderful job and, and that's fine. I mean, that, that's well and good, uh, but you've, you've got to understand that, you know, you go into a much broader uh, tax or electoral base when you're starting to run for this. And even if you're uh, very, very popular in your own ward, and, and a lot of the incumbents are, uh, you know, to, to say, okay, what about the whole city now? I mean, that's a huge, huge enterprise. Mm-hmm. And you really need to, to sit down and have a, an honest discussion with people that can give you the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. The reason we bring this up, of course, is people who were listening to the news just before we came on today, you've been hearing all day about Bob Bertina saying he's not going to run for federal office again because of the LRT. He disagrees with his party's investment in this. And you heard the the clips, you heard him on the air on the station earlier today. And one of the things that he said is he was asked, would you run for mayor again now that you're not going to run for federal office? And he didn't commit, but he didn't not commit. He wouldn't rule it out, even though he didn't say yes for sure. Bill, you know Bob pretty well. Do you expect that Bob Bertina will be on the ballot for mayor come a a year from this fall? Same situation, Scott. I'm sure a lot of people are asking him and, and suggesting and actually, you know, urging him to do something like that. I get that. I mean, he, he did run successfully and, you know, he became the mayor of the city of Hamilton uh, and stepped aside after one term. And, uh, you know, so you got that on your side, but then you have to look at the other elements to this too. 
Uh, who else is going to be running? Uh, what are the key issues going to be? I, I don't think LRT is going to be much of an issue, if an issue at all, in the, in the next municipal election. Uh, it looks as if it's well not signed, sealed, delivered yet. But, I mean, it's going to be thumbs up or thumbs down by then. So what else is it? You know, in other words, the question you always have to ask yourself, whether you're Bob Bertina or Joe Blow or anybody else, is what am I going to bring to the table that's going to make people think, yeah, this is the person we want to be our leader? Well, okay, so we'll, we're going to go through a bunch of names here, and all of them are question marks right now. We don't know, and and we're still quite a ways off, but it's just it's interesting that, as I say, Bob, the, the discussion of this today got this started. The current mayor, Fred Eisenberger, I mean, his signature position, his signature project has been LRT, I would argue. I don't think anyone's going to argue against that. Um, if Assuming this, as you say, happens or doesn't happen, do you think he he runs again, or do you think he looks at this and says, I did that, I got that done, that's my legacy, time to step aside and move on with life? Uh, I, I'm not privy to any information about any of this stuff, so I, as, as you mentioned off the top, this is purely speculative at this stage. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that Fred is, is looking at a whole number of options here, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, he served three terms. Don't forget, he, he served one term, and then only served that one term, and he lost by next election. But he just got reelected again uh, with a huge, huge, uh, you know, margin of victory in a situation like that. And he's he's used that, of course, uh, to to try to move his agenda forward, which essentially, as you say, is LRT. But there are other things that he's he's tried to improve on too, and it'd be interesting. Uh, I, I know that you know there are some negative comments that you'll see about Fred on social media, about this subject or that subject or the way he's handled this. Uh, I get that. There's always going to be people that are never going to be on side with you, but never Scott in the municipal politics, especially never underestimate the power of incumbency. Uh, And this is on a province wide basis. I mean, they've done survey after survey on this about 90% of incumbents on municipal governments. Mm get reelected 90%. So yeah, it's enormous that it's a huge, huge undertaking. And that includes the mayor's position. It's enormous. And and the reason I ask is I like, I'm not running Fred out the door by any stretch, but you wonder if once you've got that legacy project under your belt, assuming it gets the votes to go ahead, if you look and you say, you know, that was 12 years worth of work. Um, I'm ready for something else. I, and you wonder, you wonder, because it's been an enormous project. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bill, one of the really interesting names that has been dangling around this story for a long time now, mostly because she has been well-known in the city. She's been a politician for a long time. She's been a counselor. She's now been the leader of the NDP for three elections. This will be her fourth And the provincial election will be in June, municipal in October. Lots of time if the NDP does not win for Andrea Horvath to pivot and decide she would run for mayor of Hamilton. Do you think that is a realistic possibility? Well, there's always going to be those speculative stories, you know, about somebody who's, you know, very popular in the community, et cetera. But uh, Bob Bertina is an example of that, obviously, stepping down from federal politics to run to be mayor. And we've seen it happen before. I mean, Jim Watson, the mayor of Ottawa, of course, was, was a cabinet minister for Dalton McGiddy uh, and decided to go back into municipal politics. So it does happen and it can be done successfully. Uh, but I don't remember off the top of my head too many examples where it's happened here. Brad Clark being one uh, who was, of course, in provincial politics first and then ran municipally and, and was successful. Uh, but it doesn't happen very often. And, and you know, the, the story about Andrea. Uh, you know, giving up the leadership of, of the NDP and, and, and running locally. It's been going on for a couple of elections now. And, uh, you know, always you say where the smoke is fire, but it's never happened. 
Uh, and I'd be very, very surprised if it happened this time. If she did, and uh, I want to reiterate, as Bill has, we are simply talking about names that have been talked about already. With We don't know. We don't know who's going to run. But if Andrea Horvath did throw her name into the mix, because of her name recognition, as you've talked about, because of her local connection, all that kind of stuff, is she immediately a front runner? Is she immediately a favorite? I wouldn't call it. I don't think there anybody would be a favorite. I mean, look at it this way. If, if Fred Eisenberger runs again, Fred's the favorite, hands down, uh, simply because of what we talked about in his track record. So, I mean, right off the bat, you look at that. Uh, if it's an open field, well, you know, all bets are off. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, the last time I think we saw that was well, when Bob Bertina decided not to run for mayor, and it was open. And uh, we had, you know, Fred Eisenberger as one. Uh, Brad Clark ran for mayor that time. Brian McCaddy, a former councillor in uh, uh, the west end of the city, ran. And uh, there were a bunch of others. There's, by the way, we should mention, when we're talking about the names that we're throwing out here, there's always going to be a handful of other people that are going to run, too. And Absolutely. They put their money in there, and they get the signatures and everything. And, you know, they show up some of the time, anyway, for the debates. Uh, and, you know, that's, so it's going to be a field no matter what. You're never going to just see one against the other. Uh, even last year, when the or last election rather, when when Fred uh, was successful over Vito Stroh, I mean there were other people on the ballot, but it seemed to boil down to a two-person race in that one, uh, and it may well do that too. But it's going to depend on who else is on the ballot and who else decides to take the leap, and it is a big leap. One of the names, so I mean, I, I did a piece, I don't know, months ago, February, I think it was, and at that time, Brad Clark says absolutely he was not in. But there's always people around the council table whose names come up, as we talked about off the top here. It's an interesting position, though, if you are a councillor with designs on remaining around the council table, because you are now, you know, it's it's the old Kenny Rogers gambler thing. I mean, you're putting everything in. If, if you run for mayor and you've got a cushy, comfy spot in your ward, you're you're risking all of that to make a stab at that top job. Yeah, and uh, and there's no safety net if you're going to do that. No, uh, and as you know, and we've talked about this a number of times, uh, there are a lot of veterans on that city council, people that have been there for a long, long time, and uh, they're making a pretty good buck. I mean, let's let's cut right to the chase here, uh, much more than than previous councillors have. I mean, you know, with we were pulling, they're pretty close to a six figure salary, or there might be a couple of cents below that, but they're not doing too badly and a nice benefit package, and of course, they're all civic employees, so they're, the longer they're there, their OMRS pension uh, accumulates, and that, that's something they have to factor. Are you willing, as a city councillor, no matter how you know good you're feeling about yourself, to put all that on the line, like to be all in for that? Because you're right, if you lose, boom, you can't, you can't run for both jobs. You're not going to be on city council you know, if you've lost that one. Where do you go after that? And it, it's a big choice. I mean, there's always, Scott, going to be people on council that are going to think, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And they probably are thinking about it. But when you look at what's at stake in a situation like that and weigh that against what you can lose, uh, I'd be surprised if, if very many, if any people actually on this current council decided to take a run at the job. There might, now that might change if there is no incumbent. But at this point, we don't believe that to be the case. I'm, I'm assuming Fred's going to run again. Uh, so I'm, I'm not so sure. I think you'll hear a lot of bravado and a lot of names being bandied about. But when push comes to shove and it's time to, to actually pony up and say, yeah, I'm going to take it on, I'd be very surprised if any of those current counselors actually took a run at it. And we saw this happen. I mean, you mentioned it. The year that Fred won again and that Brian McCaddy and Brad Clark were both in the mix, they both were out. They both were off council because only one could take that. The other name 
that has said he, he's told me directly that he, he's not in, he's not out, he's you know he's not committing, he's not not committing. It's up in the air. Is Ted McMeekin, and I find Ted a really interesting one because he's now he hasn't been out of politics a long time, but he's been out of politics for a few years, and we know attention spans of people are not real long right now. Is he? Is Ted still a recent enough name that he would have that name recognition that potentially could work? Well, he was a player even when he was in provincial politics. You know, he was uh, usually uh, around the cabinet table in the McGuinty government. He had a variety of different portfolios and roles there, uh, and he was a player in the in the LRT thing. Let's not forget. I mean, he was kind of the go-to person uh, at that particular time because at one point I think he was the only government MPP uh, from this area uh, when uh, when the Liberals were in charge. So he he. he he was a big player in this situation. So he's out there, and his name was always out there. Uh, but again, you know, you have to look at well, a couple of different factors here. I mean, Ted's done his time uh, many, many years, of course, on, on Flamborough Council. He Actually, he ran in Hamilton City Council way back in the day, uh, up in uh, Ward 7 on the Central Mountain. Then they moved out to Flamborough, and he was on Flamborough Council, became the mayor of Flamborough. And, and of course, we all know the story about the, uh, the, the provincial run as well. It went on for quite some time. Uh, at some point, you guess. But you may be enticed by this, but at the same time, you know, you want to live your life, too. I mean, this mm. is like fire from football and politics and everything else is you want to spend some time with family. I mean, I, I can tell you I was only on council for nine years, but uh, and I loved every second of it. I like I'm proud of what we accomplished while I was there. But it's 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 draining. I mean, you're on the clock 24 seven, seven days a week. And, and it, it gets to you after a while. We just think, OK. I need a little downtime, and I, I'm not so sure. Look at this. what's going to happen here, Scott. Is all of the people that you've just mentioned here all have supporters, and they're the ones that are right now saying, you know, hey, you should think about this. You're, living, yeah. you're not going to say no. Nobody's going to say no right off the bat. Not know? yet, not no. yet. Bill, we got to run, and we got to give you your downtime. But I do appreciate Bill Kelly taking a few minutes of his vacation that I completely forgot about when I booked him. And Bill, thanks for doing this tonight. Really appreciate no it. No problem, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking about something that the Toronto School Board is planning to do and the Hamilton School Board is planning to do. Four semesters for your kids in school instead of two. Let me read something from the spec uh, from... Uh, a couple days ago. In a May 11 letter to parents, the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board said it would be switching to the quadmester learning model, which divides the school year into four quarters or sections with each offering two face-to-face classes, a change from the existing two-semester model. This means students will take two classes instead of four at a time, and each day will consist of two 150-minute periods with a lunch break in between. Good idea? Not so good idea. Let us take a look at this. I want to talk to someone who, that was her singing with her band. Uh, she is also the champion from a game show. And today, if you turn on your TV and you're watching those Tim Hortons iced coffee commercials or those cold brew commercials, that's her on the Tim Hortons commercial. And she is the math guru, which is actually why we have her on here, not just for all that other stuff. But it's Vanessa Vacaria. Vanessa, how are you tonight? Oh my gosh, that was a very hype introduction. I don't know if I can meet the expectations. Well, I got to tell you, you need to know math just to keep track of all of your, you know, pay scale things coming in from all over. You got so many things going on. It's unbelievable. (laughs) But anyway, well done. Uh, You have been in touch because, I mean, you do work with a lot of kids who are working on math and needing help with math involved in school. You've been in contact with a number of high school students who are really miffed about the idea of the quadmester. Why? 
So it's really interesting. I think I have an interesting perspective because I run a tutoring center. So we see hundreds of students from all over, right? So from all different schools. So while there might be some people who are having a positive experience with quad masters, and I will say that's usually in the private system where they have smaller class sizes, um, most of our students are not doing well. You know, their mental health is suffering because either the information is so condensed and so crammed and they have, you know, a test every two days that they can't keep up. Or in many cases, what happens is in order to fit the curriculum into a two and a half month chunk instead of the normal, you know, four or eight month chunk, um, you know, they're skimming a lot. So what happens is they're just teaching surface level curriculum in a lot of math classes, for example. Certain chapters are being kept out and kids are, are stressed that they're not going to be up to speed when it comes to re-entering the classroom next year. All right, let's break down some of these things because there's an awful lot going on with what you just described and why sure. some people might be upset. And uh, let, let's start actually with the, po- I was trying to think about this today and there was one real positive that I found on this. There may be more. Uh, people can tell me what I'm missing here as far as other positives. The one positive is I found in my personal experience that if I don't have a lot of other distractions and I'm only concentrating on one or two things, I can generally do better at those things Mm -hmm. because I don't have four or five, six courses. So theoretically, if I, and we'll use math in all the discussions, we'll just use math as the course that we're talking about. If I only have to take math and I'm doing it for two months solid, theoretically, I might be able to concentrate better and get that better because I'm not worried about a lot of geography and history and French to study. So that's a really, really good point, and that is the one argument for quads. So, so people who like quads will say they like it for that reason. And so here's what I have to say about that, a couple of things. Number one, yes, 100%, it could be a great idea, and I have seen it work. So there are certain private schools that actually all year round operate in quad master mode. And the thing is, though, in those classrooms, what you see often is more teacher support because there are fewer students in the classroom and they have a different model in terms of how students are supported. So if you have a kid, for example, like let's take math, like you said, sometimes you learn something in September, you don't really get it. You kind of barely pass the test. It comes back around. You don't really get it. And in November, all of a sudden something clicks because of something else you've learned and because of time, you don't have that opportunity. So it really favors people with kind of one particular learning style instead of allowing people to take their time to absorb the material, to do all the practice they need, right? Like, again, some people can learn a concept, do a bit of homework, study for the test and do fine, whereas others need a week's worth of repetition, let's say, on the topic. So there isn't that time. And I'm also going to say, you know, we are talking about math, but I'm going to talk about English for a second because I have a friend who's the head of an English department. And she said that one of the things that she really likes to do as the head of a department is provide rich texts for students, opportunities for students to read from a diverse range of authors throughout the course of the year, to discuss, to put together ideas. And you can't do that. You can't just cram five books into two months, right? Like, it doesn't really work that way. As much as you can focus, you're not going to sit and just read all day long for two, you know what I mean? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Vanessa, we were saying, okay, so the positive is that, yes, you can concentrate and focus on one thing, and hopefully that really, really helps you bear down and learn all this stuff and get on a roll. The negative and some of the things that some of the concerns people have, and you touched on this, 
just before the break is if you fall behind at the pace you're going to have to get going to make everything fit into two months, if you fall behind over a couple days, you could be gone in a week. Mm-hmm. And you know what I was thinking about during the break? I think that one of the major issues is really just the lack of planning. So what happened is, you know, they were like, okay, everyone's going quad master. It's a free for all design your course, however you want. So you have some schools who are like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to cut out two chapters from the math curriculum. That way everything will fit nicely. Then you have other schools who are like, you know what? I'm keeping every single shred of material in and I'm just going to test rigorously and that's what I'm going to do. So what you're seeing is such a crazy disparity in terms of how this is being carried out that there are so many concerns about, okay, what happens next year? Or what happens to the kids who are going into university next year? all of whom got a completely different grade 12 education. So I don't even think I would have that much of a problem with it if there was some sort of plan and cohesion and some ground rules. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, your, your comment about university to me is entirely accurate because I've said this for a long time now. The kids have lost... They haven't lost a full year. It's been a really weird year. And I no one will be able to convince me that kids after this year got the exact same education that people who were in a normal school year would have got. I'm sorry, you can try, but there's no, I, I refuse to believe no. that everything is the same. And so what we're then asking is that either the teachers in the next year of high school just pick up worth whatever and say, okay, fine. Or teacher, you, professors in university say, okay, I know you're not caught up, but for, we should have expectations that if you're going to start grade 11, that you should be at a grade 11 level but I, or 12 or whatever, but I don't think we can now. Well, that's the thing is that I don't think we can either. And I don't know if you know this, but in the quadmaster model as it is right now, there are no final exams. So, I mean, that's a whole other discussion. Again, I might not have a huge issue with that because I think exams might be a bit of an archaic way to test students. Never mind that discussion. But I will say if in university students are expected to write exams to achieve their final score, which they are, right? Universities are heavily reliant on exams. Then not training students to write exams is not going to serve them well. So let's say you have a student who for the entire year this past year never had to study or write a final exam. Now they're going off to university where that is the predominant way of grading. They're at a huge disadvantage. Like And, and like what you said is so accurate is we're expecting the entire system to accommodate. That's the only way this can work, right? So next year, if a grade 11 teacher somehow accommodates every student in his or her classroom who had a completely different grade 11 math ed- or grade 10 math education, and that's not possible. So what, what are we going to do here? Yeah, but if you've got 40 plus 40 to 45 teaching days and you're a grade 11 math teacher mm-hmm. and the students show up on day one, having had just gone through the year they did, you may have to spend legitimately, if you're going to do your job right, you may have to spend 10 or 12 of those days seriously just catching the kids up right. who don't have any idea because they're so far behind or and you can't <laughs> you can, and that that cuts a quarter of your teaching time or you identify those kids and you say they're hopelessly lost leave them behind we got to do the other kids and please don't do that right and the other thing is this imagine this imagine you took math in the first quadmaster so you took it September yes. 2020 yes December 2020 and now you haven't done math since December. Like you talk, we, we've been on the show talking about the summer learning slide before. This is like 
a nine-month slide. It's a nine-month gap. It could be longer than that. You could do the exactly. first quadmester next year right. from September till October right. and then not take it till the fourth quadmester of the next yeah. year. You could be a year and a half between math courses. Well, and the thing is, we, you know, at the Math Guru, we were like, okay, we want to help with this. We'll create programs so that kids can learn math even when they're not in math in school. So you take math first quadmester, but you just keep doing math with us. But no, and you don't have time for that because the next quadmester – their, their days are packed trying to learn all of the content of two new courses. So it's virtually impossible for them to continue doing math all year, right? That's not very practical. The way I, I would have a solution for this, but I can tell you it would not be a popular solution because what a lot of it? parents would lose their minds. And that is, I know we don't like exams apparently now, but you need to put kids in these classes next year with quadmester with like ability kids you can't have kids who are way ahead with kids who are way behind because it will not work you have to find the kids at the same level and allow them to work with other kids in those classes that are of the same level whether it's math or science or english or whatever that's the only way this is going to work or you safely figure out a way to at the very least do semesters you know like fine you don't do the full year but you do four month semesters which a lot of schools already have so I'm curious. I, I Again, we don't have that much information as to why. I mean, I assume it's a health and safety reason that they're doing quadmasters, but I'd really like to see how much thought was given to this decision and whether there's not a way to just make semesters work with cohorts just the same way. Or you could do what I've been pushing for for a long time and just bring back grade 13 for a couple of years to give them a well, year to catch people, up from all this. Some people are saying that, right? That is one argument. I've seen a few articles about that. So, I mean, I doubt that will happen, but no. It'll, no. it'll be interesting. You know, the truth is, if if we could do anything, I would say this is the perfect time to just completely change the system because it's been broken forever anyways. And the truth is, actually, I bet you we could cut a ton of stuff out of every single year of math. The problem is every subsequent year is reliant on the year before it. But yep. if we wanted to really dig in and say, hey, what do kids really need to learn in high school when it comes to math or English or whatever, and give the whole thing a makeover, that would be great. But I don't think anyone's going to do that right now. You can find Vanessa's links and everything else on online. Look up the math, the math guru, mathguru.com. MathGuru.ca, themathguru.ca, but if you just look up the MathGuru, you'll find me right away. If you want any advice or insights or thoughts or whatever else, you can find it there. And keep an eye out for that Tim Hortons cold brew commercial. You'll see her there as well. <laughs> it uh, was Vanessa, delicious. I oh, know was it? the cold brew, and I'm not even going right. to say that. All right, there you go. There you, you heard it right there. Uh, Vanessa, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys and of ComChoice Realty and the once and future Dundas Citizen of the Year and the man behind the soon-to-be Dundas Walk of Fame and many, many, many other things, Don Robertson, who joins us now. Don, how are you tonight? Scott, how are you? How old are you? I know how old I am. I think I know how old you are. You are. Who do you think sit in the backyard listening to a transistor radio? Well, I said it's kind of a romantic concept. I don't know that too many people are, but it's, it's. I mean, look, I, I'm not that old, but I remember listening on a transistor radio to the Blue Jays in 1985 when they were winning their first playoff series. Yes. Or in their well, first play, yeah. getting to their first playoff series. So it's not that old. I mean, it's, it's no. I, I remember lying under the covers in bed listening to 
Leaf games on a transistor radio. So, you know, it's not, uh, we're not back in the days of, uh, you know, the Midwest picking up St. Louis Cardinals games, I guess, while working the back 40, but, you know, they're still around. I'm sure they're still around. Yeah. I just, yeah, they have Bose speakers and stuff, but I just, (laughs) anyway, I thought it was funny. Good for you. I'd love to know how many, well, you know, once upon a time, Don, we asked the question on this show and it was stunning the number of calls. Cause I said, once upon a time, let me, I'll get back to the transistor radio in a second. It, it came to my attention that on your phone bill, if you still have a landline, you pay, and I don't know if you still do, but I think you still do, but not that long ago, you paid a premium. You paid a fee for, for touch tone service as opposed to rotary dial. And I was yeah. like, yeah. I remember asking the question on the air. What it, that is the that is the picture of gouging people. Who has a rotary dial phone anymore? Everybody has touch tone phone. So you're paying a fee that every you know. And I started getting phone calls from people saying, "I have a rotary dial phone. I have a rotary, and I got a bunch." So I guess if we ask the question, I mean, how, how many people have a transistor radio still in their home? I bet there's a bunch. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I'd be a lot more than than I would guess, I would think. But you're right. I mean, it was never crystal clear like a lot of things are in the way we expect them nowadays. But you're right. You can listen to the Jays and and, uh, you can listen to Foster Hewitt and Bill Hewitt. And that's dating myself a bit, but that's, I I mean, they were, they were geniuses. And they were our avenue to the games. And you and I have talked about it before. Yeah. Nothing better than uh, Jerry Howarth and um, Tom Cheek. Tom Cheek. Yeah, they were. The, the pictures they painted of baseball games were brilliant. And you know, it's funny because people say the same thing about vinyl, and it, it's different because I've never understood the affinity some people have for music on vinyl because they say they like the warm, scratchy, crackly sound that you get. And I've always thought, you know, why, why would you want crackly sound when you can have crystal clear and sound like you're in the concert hall? That's with music though. But see, when I think of a transistor radio on the dock, let's say listening up at the cottage or up North listening, and there's a little bit of crackle or whatever, again, to me, that's kind of romantic. I kind of like that idea. So I realize I'm talking, I'm being hypocritical because I'm, I'm saying with music, you're an idiot if you don't want the pure crystal clear sound, but with sports, I kind of like it. I I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's just, maybe it's what our childhood, what we're used to or something. I don't know. Nostalgic. Nostalgic. Well, speaking of nostalgia, Don, and this nostalgia, boy, nostalgia goes back before a lot of us were born. Um, I I was born the last time the Leafs played against the Montreal Canadiens in a playoff series, but I was not born the last time the Leafs beat the Montreal Canadiens in a playoff series. It's been that long. Um, if you're a Maple Leaf fan, should you be just bubbling and gurgling with excitement at this, or should you be petrified at what's going to happen? Probably crap in your pants because it's been so long since the Leafs have gone into anything, including an inter-squad game, to be favored. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, I mean the, la- the last two yeah. times Toronto and Montreal have played, the uh, the Habs swept them, um, and now there is, and I think Montreal are perfectly positioned. They'll either come in and make it a great series, 
If it's going to end quickly, I, I think only Toronto can do it. But the longer it drags on, Carey Price played for the Laval Rockets today in net. No idea how he did. Uh, but if he gets hot and they get some people back and they get the Leafs on their heels, there'll be a lot of bedwetting in Toronto, I can assure you of that. Uh, so the answer to your question is they're in the first period of the Laval Rocket game right now. They're five minutes into the first period. It's 2 nothing for the Toronto Marlies over Laval. So Carey Price has given up two goals on six shots. So Leaf fans would probably be happy to hear that. Um, last time he was in the AHL, as people recall, he did kind of well. So um, anyway. I want to call her a cup for the Hamilton Bulldogs. He did. He did. Now he was back briefly after that. He got hurt and he came back here briefly, but um, yeah. No, I look, I, I look at this thing, Don, and I, I, regardless, if you're a Leaf fan, regardless of whether you think the Leafs will or will not win this series, the, the idea of, if you're a Leaf fan, of having to listen to Montreal fans gloat if you don't, if your team loses and the stuff you'll have to deal with from them would be enough almost to say, you know what, can we just not watch the series and skip to the end so I know whether I have to go to a cave and live there for a while or can come out and celebrate? Because that's, you know, and vice versa. I mean, Montreal fans will no doubt have no appetite to listen to gloating Leaf fans, but I don't think it'll be the same because Canadians fans will always be able to say, yeah, but look what we've done since you last won a cup. If Montreal, after finishing fourth, many points behind the Leafs, comes back and wins this thing. It's just going to be tormenting for Toronto fans. Well, I will I will give you a prediction, unsolicited, that if Toronto go out quickly, it will cost the general manager and the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs their job. I think Dubas has done a great job. Um, I think he's played a lot of things very well but he's been given a free hand. And if it doesn't work from first place for the first time since, I don't know when, decades, and uh, they don't pull it off, I'll tell you. One, if not two, heads will roll. How would that be their fault, though? How would that be their fault? And, and, And I'm not saying, look, somebody will end up getting under the guillotine. I'm not sure that it becomes him, though or them. I'm not sure it becomes those two guys because you've built this team that has exceeded all expectations and done exactly what it was supposed to do. Uh, I think at a certain point, if you get into the playoffs and the big guns of the Leafs especially don't produce, it falls on them as opposed to the to two guys who built the team. I think you're well, going to find that you'll have a John Tavares or someone, dep- I mean, depending on how their performance is, but you'll have a few guys who are big name, big ticket players in Toronto who suddenly will be very uncomfortable. Yeah, well, they'll be rich. I don't know. I think the expectations are pretty high. Now, the, the interesting thing is it's not like it's going to cost them an awful lot of money and lost revenue at the gate. Um, I mean, that would have been probably tens of millions if they don't go to the finals. But the bar isn't the bar isn't to get by the first round. I mean, the bar is to get to the final four and perhaps the final two. And if you go out in the first round and everybody's raved about the job that Kyle Dubas has done. I suggest to you that, yeah, I think he's done a good job, but if it's not good enough, boy, somebody's got to pay the price. Yeah. It'll, it'll, 
It'll depend. It'll, you know what, you know where he could find himself the, the one place. Cause again, I, I think that most people look at this and think, you know, you've done, you've brought, you were not tough enough. So you've brought in toughness. You weren't gritty enough. You've brought in grit. You needed depth. You've got lots of depth. Your defense was porous. Okay. You fixed the defense. I mean, people look at what he's done, I think, and largely say he has answered every weakness the one place where he may end up getting slapped around if this thing goes south is if his goaltending is poor if the goaltending is porous in the playoffs and you know, a bunch of weak goals get in and they end up losing that's the one part of his game one part of his team that yeah he got jack campbell but that was never meant to be a starting goalie he said he was going to live and die with frederick anderson and if that turns out to be his achilles heel that's where he may take criticism well, but here's what I would say to, uh, and, and I agree he addressed all the issues that needed to be addressed, but if they don't win, he didn't address them with the right people. Like, it's okay to address it, but but the mix has got to work, and they have to produce. I, I'm not sure in the Montreal series it will matter quite as much because, uh, you know, the the Habs aren't the toughest team on the planet. But if they're going to keep going, you're going to see Joe Thornton and uh, Simmons and uh, Felino play bigger roles and bigger roles every series. I'm just saying he put all the parts in place. He covered all the bases. He covered what he needed. But if he didn't do it with the right personnel, whose fault's that? Not mine. It's not yours. Yeah, no, it will be, um, you know, and, and again, every series, and you're, I mean, look, you, you could very, very well be right. Every series, at the end of it, you look and you find out where your weakness was. And, you know, that will, I guess, to your point, that will really answer the question of whether the the management and Dubas and all the rest find themselves in the crosshairs or what. I mean, if if all the guys he brought in play great, and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner just disappear. You know what do you do? Um, is that his fault then? If if everything that he brought in does great, and you have a rash of injuries, which you know could happen, is that his fault? I, on the flip side, you know if if Joe Thornton and Simmons and Jason Spezza on a fourth line look so slow and get burned by speed all the time, then you you know yeah he'll be he'll be criticized for sure. So I we'll see. But it is fascinating. I think there's an awful lot of Leaf fans right now that much prefer the days. Well, they enjoy these days, but they don't have the capacity to enjoy them really because there's no, for most fans, Don, for anyone under 50 years old, there is literally no history or no reason to believe that things are going to go well. There's no template to say we should expect good things. If you're a Leaf fan, you have for 50 years now been taught expect something horrible to happen. Yeah, the last, uh, you know, I guess the last real shot was uh, Gilmore, 92-93 and Felix Botvin. Yep. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a generation ago. You know, and, and it's so it's ago. so predictable that, uh, like, uh, you know, I'm I'm on behalf of Leaf fans, I'm touching a bit of wood right now. But you almost it, it the typical Leaf situation here would be in the first period of the first game, one of your most important players gets injured. That that would that would be how 
Leaf fans ex- almost, I think, expect things to go because that's what happens if you're a Leaf fan. And the flip side is, Don, if somehow they can get by the Canadians and exhale a little bit and, and everyone, I, I, I don't doubt that they could maybe go on a bit of a run, but they, they gotta, they gotta get that monkey off their back. Sorry for the cliche, but they really do. And right now it's just, it's massive. It's massive. This, this load they're carrying around to just get out of a first round of a playoffs. Well, and, and, you know, in, in, in my comments about Dubas, I mean, if two or three key guys get injuries and put them out for the series, then it's 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 far more difficult to lay the blame at his feet because then you will never actually know. Now, one thing about uh, them this year, I mean, they could afford to lose a couple pretty good players with the depth they've got. And I don't think they could lose them for the entire playoff run. But, you know, if Tavares got, got an injury and had to be out for 10 days and, you know, missed the last three games of the series, they can overcome that. They can overcome a couple things. They can't overcome mass injuries. No, and they if can you overcome lose... a little bit. They've got the depth, and that's one good thing about it. They've got the depth. They've got the depth. Uh, I got, a guy I'm going to watch to see how he performs, because I think I know how he will, is Nylander, and, and I want to see what they do with him. I mean, if he doesn't step up, if he's a, if he's a no-show, then he should be sitting with you and I watching. We will see. And, and you know what? I mean, yes, there, there's a guy who uh, Leaf fans have very much a love-hate relationship. They love it when he produces, but more often than not, they just they don't seem to enjoy what he brings. And boy, if he goes quiet, that guy will be in the center of it all. Anyway, we will see. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, we, um, I don't know if you saw any of the playoff games the playoffs have already started south of the border in the nhl and many of the places that i saw anyway had either a lot of fans or almost full arenas full of fans and when it gets down to it when when the canadian division finishes and whoever emerges from the canadian division is into the final four it looks like you're going to have three American teams that can play home games with full houses or close to it, just wild atmospheres. And then the Canadian team playing in front of an empty home barn. How much of a disadvantage is that going to be to the Canadian teams? If any. Well, it, uh, it will be, I mean, it's not going to be helpful. I mean, if you go into, uh, any other U S building and it's full, and they come to Toronto, and that's still up in the air whether that'll happen or not. And there's nobody there. I mean, you don't have to split atoms in your spare time to figure that can't help, right? The phony crowd noise and all that kind of thing is not going to be very helpful. But, you know, the players, Don, always say, well, we don't pay attention to the crowd. We don't hear the crowd. We just play. This, this would put the lie to that if that's true. Well, that's not true. I mean, they can... <laughs> we we used to go on the road to Norwood some nights and there wouldn't be many people there and the guys would joke, we better score early, early to keep the crowd out of it. There was no crowd <laughs> and it was never a home ice advantage to them, right? But you got, I mean, it, it's, it's, that's like saying I don't read the paper or listen to the radio. What a load of crap that is. I mean, you can't get away from it now. And it would it would be a deterrent. And I think we talked talk briefly about it before when I said, you know, if they go 
it's like um, the Toronto FC played Miami last week, and their home games are in the same stadium. So the stadium's full, but there isn't one Toronto FC fan there, right? So it's a it. it do the do the fans score? No. Uh, you've also got eighteen thousand people in the building critiquing the officials, and you know they're they're the best in the world. But boy, uh, there might be some influence. It wouldn't be helpful to the. Canadian team or Toronto, if it's them, I'll tell you. And I, there's zero chance we're going to get anybody in the buildings here. I'm not even sure they'll let them come back and forth. Now, by then, that said, that's going to be, a, I'm sure it's published and I don't have it uh, committed to memory, but that might be six weeks from now. So I don't know. Would they let 10,000 in? Would they let 5,000 in the Scotiabank Center? I don't know. So what do you think the chances are the NHL says it's too much of a competitive advantage if the Canadian teams can't have fans, the American teams can't have fans either for our finals? I say with my tongue stuck into my cheek. Yeah, I, I, I think I've used this reference before. If you're not sure what's going on, it's about the money. And if yeah. Gary Bettman wants to keep his job, he is not taking 18,000 people a night out of uh, Boston, the Boston TD Center. That would be suicide. So you're right. Tongue stapled to your cheek. Uh, that will never happen. It'll just so what be... do you do then, Don? I mean, honestly, uh, and I'm not being funny here, and, and the answer may be nothing, but what do you do if you're worried about competitive fairness when you get into that level of the playoffs? Is there nothing you can do, or is there something you could do to try and... You know, let's say the Edmonton Oilers, it doesn't have to be the Leafs, the Oilers, whomever gets in. Is there anything you can do to try and balance that somehow? I, I, I wouldn't know what it could be. I mean, I mean, without question, it's going to be a disadvantage. I don't know how you compensate for that. I mean, I, I don't know what you can do. And the odd, this is a whole different take on this, but the, uh, the um, at the rate in which the U.S. Have, have received their vaccines is basically exactly where we are. But they're opening up everything. Like, they're just over 50%. England's at uh, not at 60%, and they're opening up. We can't even go, go out and get a jug of milk, let alone go to a hockey game. But I don't know. I don't know if it becomes... A federal issue? I don't think it can be. I don't. They're listening to the health table. I don't. I think. I don't think Doug Ford would say, you know, fill uh, Scotiabank Place because it's unfair to the Leafs. I mean, you can't even golf at Copetown Woods. Yeah. No, I. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think there's an answer. I. There's. Well. I don't know. I don't think there is either. But. There. I don't think there is either. Um, one more thing about hockey, and then I want to move on here, and that is. Um, we still, so the, the Canadian teams are not starting the playoffs yet because Vancouver and Calgary, after Vancouver had their big COVID problem, they, they fell behind in their games. And so Vancouver and Calgary, two teams that aren't qualifying for the playoffs, have to play another three games. And I think it was four before. And well, should they have had to do this or should the NHL have just said, look, you guys are already eliminated. It's been a long year. You had COVID. Everybody just go home. There's literally no purpose. And 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 even if Don, you say, well, TV, 
wants the ratings or TV has this programming. Show me the person in Calgary or Vancouver who is sitting by their TV living and dying with this game that means less than a preseason game because at least in the preseason, they're working their way towards something. The only thing these guys are working their way towards is not being hurt. Okay, so here's what I'd have done if they'd have called, and they didn't. Uh, you know, I understand for the integrity of the game, everybody should play the same amount of games. They're all getting to pay the same amount of money and everything else. But it just happens that the two teams that aren't in the playoffs have to play those games. Why not just start the playoffs with uh, Winnipeg and Edmonton? And I mean, it's silly, but it, it doesn't it doesn't make any less sense than what they're doing now. If you want them to play the games, let them play the games. Go ahead. They can play them, but don't delay the playoffs because I'll tell you what's going to happen. Because of this, the North Division, all the Canadian teams are going to have to play more games in a shorter span, and when it comes down to the end, one of them are going to be in the Final Four, and they will they, they may well, depending on the length of the series, have played a lot more hockey in a lot shorter period of time. We talked about earlier uh, how injuries can be a factor, in the outcome of series and the length of them, well, you know, like the Leafs aren't and, and, and Habs are going to go at it pretty hard. I think they got seven games in 10 days. Like it's not very long they have, because if you look at by the time, I don't know if it's the first or second round, they're almost starting at the same time. So I didn't just let Calgary and Vancouver, if you want to, for the integrity of the game, let them play, but let the playoffs up here start because there's no bearing on them. Yeah, I don't, I don't don't understand. understand. I don't understand it either because again, I mean, I I even think if you ask the people in Calgary or Vancouver, how much they care about these last three games, you're going to be hard pressed to find anybody that cares anybody because the only thing that you could possibly throw out there is, well, some guys have bonuses in their contract. And so, uh, you know, if you get to 25 goals, it might be an extra hundred grand. I tell you what, if I'm on the Calgary flames and I've got a bonus for a hundred grand to get two more goals or something, I am telling the Vancouver Canucks, cause I got to believe it since nothing means anything to either side. If there are any decent people on the Canucks, they'll make sure you get that bonus and vice versa. That's the yeah. only thing that you're playing for though, at this point. And the rest is just a complete waste of time that I just don't understand why the NHL would not just say, we're, we're just going to bury you. You're going to play at 10 a.m. on weekdays just to be done. You're going to play right yeah, before man. the rental ice by the high school intramural yeah. team. Like, I, like it, it, it would have absolutely no effect on Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, and Toronto. If those guys were playing the same nights, the same amount of people are going to care. Not many. Looks... Uh, dumb it looks like shorts on a horse it doesn't make any sense to me it's <laughs> a good analogy you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml i'm not looking to embarrass you i had to look this up myself today so um and i think a lot of people listening will have to do the same do you know how the blue jays are doing this year they're a little over 500 i believe um, and they're about two games out of first place. No, oh, so you're way ahead of me and about a lot of other people that I saw on social media talking about it. For whatever reason, have you been watching a lot of Blue Jays? I have not, but I've been in the I've been in the truck quite a bit, so I've been listening. And uh, actually, 
surprisingly enough, I have listened. I thought I would miss the baseball-only broadcast, but outside of uh, one of the people on that I don't find all that informative or good at it, um, it's not bad. Not bad. The the uh, they've adapted well. I don't know if they've changed their style a whole lot, but it's not unlistenable. It's not Tom and Jerry, but it's you know if you've got nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon. You're driving around. I'll listen to it. I've been surprised by two things. One that how successful they've been. They're in second place. To be clear, they're in second place, a game and a half behind Boston right now, ahead of the Yankees. A lot of people are surprised by that, particularly considering the number of injuries the Jays have had and that for a long time they weren't hitting and their pitching has been torn apart and everything else. So good for them. But a lot of people seem to be unaware right now of them. And I don't know if that's COVID, that the Jays are not playing at home and so they're not being seen as much. I don't know if that's the fact that the Leafs, as we've been talking about, are in the playoffs and in a position they haven't been in a long, long time, which is a favorite and people are focusing their attention on that. I don't know if it's got something to do with the Raptors winding up their season and people have been paying attention to that. But it seems as though the Blue Jays have in large measure kind of been forgotten so far. And I'm, and I'm a little bit surprised because they have been doing well. And generally, you know, the rule with the Blue Jays, maybe more than any other team in this area, is that the fans will follow them when they're winning. I think it's a combination. I mean, the Raptors have been a non-player in the market this year um, because they've had so many struggles. Um, I think in part, it's the Leafs' success and the expectations. Uh, if the Leafs fall off early, uh, I think you'll see interest in the Jays. But I think a lot of people, Scott, the interest in the Jays clearly is based on winning, and it's based on crowds at the uh, at the Sky Dome. And if they're drawing thirty five, forty thousand people a night, I think people say, well, you know, they're now relevant again. It's all attributed to winning. But the more people in the stands, I think, builds more excitement. People are going to say, why don't we get down and pick you know grab a game or two this summer you don't have to go to all of them but let's grab some games and they, they feed off that and they don't have that baseball don't have that see the Leafs are sold out every night the Raptors are sold out every night and attendance at the uh, at the Jays games is all based on their success and when they have it there's more excitement and I think of all the teams that aren't playing at home in Toronto or in Toronto because we're the only ones that you know that are in, playing in the states I think the Jays are hurt the most by it. They're playing in Dunedin, and everybody's excited they're going to move to Buffalo, but nobody can go across the border and watch them. So I think that the crowds are a significant contributor to the interest in the Jays. I, the other thing that really surprised me about the lack of real buzz, and you know, again, people listening may say, I've got lots of buzz. I, I've just not heard a lot of it. I've not picked up on a lot of the real excitement. And, and one of the other reasons why I've, very much surprised by this is if you go back and you look the other thing that is a great barometer of interest in the Blue Jays is when the Blue Jays are winning yes as you say absolutely but when they are a really great offensive team and scoring a ton of runs so they're a fun exciting team to watch it's not the same unfortunately if they're winning two to one when Roger Clemens was playing for them they won a lot of low scoring games when he was pitching they didn't, he didn't, Roger Clemens didn't move the needle much on attendance. When the Jays have guys pounding the ball all over the field, 
that works too. They're one of the highest scoring teams in baseball, which should translate oh, into more and more buzz. It just hasn't seemed to so far. And I think you must be right that it must be the being away from here. It, it, well, it sure hasn't helped. And, uh, and the fact that I, I don't suspect, but I don't know that many of the uh, Toronto uh, newspapers, I don't know if they have anybody following them. I would doubt it. Uh, I think the games are being broadcast from a studio. Um, so I don't, like, I don't think there's that contact. I think it's harder to get in-depth stories with guys. You know, if you were following them and you had a couple of guys, you drag them off to get a bit of an exclusive. There's a lot more interest and none of that can happen either. I don't know if that's a factor, but I do think it's more of the, the crowd. So I mean, Vladdy, Vladdy's hit a homer in three straight games. I mean, he's, he's, he, he appears to, he's going to be the superstar. Everybody predicted he would be. Yeah. And, no. And their, their stud off season signing has played about as much for them as you have. Yeah. No, George Springer has been hurt for almost the entire time. I, 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 the other thing I wonder about, I'm throwing out a lot of things here, but I, it's because it's so puzzling to me that this should, this should be right now a team that has everybody talking. And again, I think the Leafs are distracting that from that a little bit, but one of the other things that I really wonder about is spring training is always the time when you build the hype when you've got lots of stories and everything's optimistic and you're, you've got people from all the local media down there and there's stories every day. There was none of that this year. So I just wonder if you're also looking at this thinking, yeah, maybe if they're keeping this up in July, once hockey season's over and we get into the guts of summer and now we've had all these stories day after day, maybe then everybody jumps on board. I don't know. It just seems weird that a team that, that that checks off all the boxes of what a normally would would turn people into buzz for jays it hasn't seemed to work yet tell me if tell me if you think this has any bearing in it uh antopolis and beeston were very popular in toronto i think uh their demise did not sit well and i'm not sure a lot of people are fans of mark shapiro and ross atkins and i don't know if that's there were some people hoping they'd fail. It looks like they're do- not doing a bad job, but I think all that matters in Toronto. Could be. I think it matters when people like the GM of the Leafs and uh, Messiah and, and for the Raptors. I think those things matter. Now, not to such a significant level that it would drop the interest off, but I mean, there's a whole bunch of little tiny things nibbling around at the edges that the Jays don't have. And, you're right. They're not in Toronto, and it seems to matter that you can relate if you're watching the game on TV and you were planning on going down to the Rogers Center Sky Dome, um, and you've been there two or three times. You can really relate to the stadium when you see something happen. It's hard to relate to Dunedin or Buffalo. It's an interesting one, and we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, as I say, if they keep going like this and they keep now hitting and keep putting up runs and doing these things, you know, it, who knows? Maybe. Maybe by July, maybe by August, everyone's buzzing about the Jays again, but it's been an interesting one that they haven't, that I've heard anyway, that I've got the sense so far. Again, people may feel differently. They may be, you out there listening, this may be all you talk about with your friends. I don't know, but I'm not hearing a lot of it. Uh, Don Robertson, always appreciate you doing this. Thank you for taking some time on your Monday night. You can go uh, return to mowing the back 40 now. I know you're probably halfway through. No, I'm sitting on a deck looking at it. You know, it'll be a lot, it'll be interesting. Oh, we don't, uh, 
maybe no next week. Uh, we'll know exactly how the Jays are, uh, are the Leafs have done by the next time we talk. Absolutely. We'll, um, we'll, we'll either have the, uh, the cool in the gang celebration song queued up for the Leaf fans, or we'll have the, uh, the funeral <laughs> march. <laughs> funeral march. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'll thanks, be one Scott. or the other. Don Robertson, always thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.